0: A Pope MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on BMX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Flyracing.com. Please check them out on the web. Flyracing.com, the official gear of Weston Pike and Trey Kennard and Blake Baggett and uh, all these great riders. The 2018 stuff should be out now, but the 2017 and a half kinetic mesh that a lot of the riders love is out with the new colors and new styles. And again, please check them out. Flyracing.com on the web. We thank them for the support of this show, and uh, they are killing it right now uh, in the 450 class. So. Thanks again to those guys. Also, Alpine Stars Protects. You know they make Tech 10s. You know they make Tech 8s and all that. Uh, they've been around forever. The quality of their boots is phenomenal, but they've got this whole other line of protection uh, with BNS Tech Carbon Neck Brace, the A1 Roost Guard, which is, uh, can be worn underneath or over top. CE certified product uh, protects against impacts and roost, and of course the uh, FluidTech carbon knee brace, which is an over-the-shelf uh, brace. Its primary function is to reduce the risk and severity of injury by preventing excessive hypertension of the knee. Uh, Alpine Star protects; they take all their quality, all their good stuff that they put in their boots, and they uh, they put it in the uh, protection line of products. So, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, a legend in the sport of freestyle. He's an X Games gold medalist, silver medalist, uh, twice runner-up in 125 Supercross Mm -hmm. series, uh, and uh, still around the sport, and uh, one of the cool guys that's uh, got a great story and uh, lots of interesting things have happened to this man, Mad Mike Jones. What's up, Jones? How are you? I'm doing real good. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Are you still mad? (laughs) Do we still call you Mad Uh, Mike?
2: (laughs) No, I'm actually happy, Mike, and uh, yeah, a lot of people think the mad part was uh, that I was angry and wanting to do crazy things on a dirt bike is why I got my nickname, and uh, yeah, so I'm yeah. I'm happy, Mark.
1: Yeah, no, it's good to hear. Uh, what are you doing these days? I saw you at High Point. Um, what's going on with Mike Jones these days? Well, I'm uh, I'm
2: actually uh, working construction and stuff uh, for Trumbull, mm-hmm. driving an off-road uh, dirt trucks. So I get to race around in an tick and Triple Seven which has ten foot tires and and I really enjoy that. Um and plus I'm doing uh Mike Jones riding schools, so private lessons and right now training uh probably one of the fastest up and coming B riders in Brock Pappy. Oh cool. Um and that's going well? Oh yeah, real good. Yeah, he's won a bunch of events and he's obviously a uh, multi time amateur champion. In uh, 80s and and he's won a bunch of events uh recently also in the 250 and 450b class and he uh got invited to monster Cup. so we're going to be starting to train for that and hopefully come out with a win at that oh
1: that's cool yeah why not pass on the knowledge you know that you had over the years of racing and and doing everything and and, and help out so that's cool good to hear it's working yeah. out do you have you ridden much do you ride
2: anymore um, well, I actually had a bad accident last October. I was mm-hmm. on a supermoto on a back road and hit some loose tar and chip and ran off the road into a guy's yard and hit an embankment went over the bars and don't remember anything after that until the next day, but I separated my pelvis an inch and a half in the front and the back and and uh, snapped my femoral head and they had to um, plate the pelvis
1: oh, and
2: with four screws. And a plate in my femur, and I was in a wheelchair for two months, and and uh, crutches for six weeks, and then the femur didn't heal, and they had they took the four screws out, and it fell apart, and then they had to put a new hip in, and I went to rehab for six weeks, and so I just started walking, uh, getting back to normal here, not too long ago, but um, so I'm not allowed to race till January. That's the hardest thing I'm going through right now: that right. uh, not able to race my dirt bike for another six months. Um.
1: So, was it the worst crash you've ever had? Worst injury you've ever had? I mean, God, Mike. We'll get into it, but I imagine
2: you've had some good ones over the years. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it definitely was the worst one. I've uh, actually never been in a wheelchair before, I and mean, I've done you know I've had yeah. nine knee operations, yeah. shattered my hip twice, and had plenty of leg uh, injuries, but mm-hmm. never um, did both or did anything to my pelvis. So, yeah, it was definitely the worst injury, and plus, it put me out for. Um, you know, four months yep. where I couldn't really do anything, and and then a year without it being able to race. I mean, I, I broke my neck, and like I said shattered my tib fib, and and broke broke my jaw, and my, both my TMJ joints, and Jeez. I've had twenty six operations now, and over sixty broken bones, and been knocked unconscious probably thirty times, and have many concussions. So, yeah, it's it's, it's it's the worst one, and and being now fifty one years old. You don't heal like uh, no. yeah, it Used to so <laughs> that's yeah. the worst thing now that I'm going through is as my body's not wanting to heal like it used to for sure.
1: No, you've had some big ones for sure. Uh, at High Point, when you uh, when you're there, do you go over and uh, still say hi to Kibby? Uh, Christian Kibby is a mechanic in the sport for a long time, and uh, he's been uh, he's risen up through the ranks, and he's now the the head motor guy over at Geico. But Mike, y- you're responsible for him being in america do you go over and
2: and hang that over him uh no i don't hang it over <laughs> them, of course but i do still talk to him and and uh yeah Kibby was my mechanic in australia when i went over there and was racing with chad reed and all the top aussies i've been over there 60 times racing for phil christensen for spokes promotions and mm-hmm. i used to go over there five six times a year for for uh roughly 10 12 years and and uh Kibby wanted to come over to visit and he came over um with the mcfarlands and and uh he elected to stay for three years and he really liked it over here and he worked for me and did freestyle and and uh freestyle just didn't do it for him because he wanted a bike that was on the podium in a race, and he started working for Nick way and yeah and uh, then then he obviously got the deal with uh Keiko, but yeah, I still hang out with Kibby and talk oh, to him cool. a bunch and yeah yeah, he definitely is uh, probably still my best friend and uh professional motocross team for sure
1: yeah that's cool it's good to see you know all these years later you guys are still buddies and all that and uh whenever somebody gets mad at me uh i'm canadian and whenever somebody gets mad at me i'm always like yeah blame shane drew he's the one who who got me down here um so he's i was you know needed needed a hand needed help needed some uh some experience in getting down the usa and it was uh, it was shane drew who did it so i'm always like yeah blame shane drew (laughs) so yeah (laughs) yeah um awesome uh, yeah, well, hopefully you get back riding soon. Uh, you know, whenever whenever you can, when you get up and healed and everything else, that that'd be good. Um, yep. Hey, so let's go back into into the time machine a little bit. Um, coming up from PA, you you got second twice in one twenty five Supercross series, so close, one yep. year to Denny Stevenson, and uh, which he tells a hilarious story about uh, you just. Absolutely ramming the shit out of them at many, many races. And then, uh, yeah. and Todd De Hoop, you lost the title to De Hoop by six points also. Um, and obviously, you know, all the freestyle stuff that came afterwards, all the X games, everything else, um, you started trying to be, you know, another Rick Johnson, right? I mean, that was your goal.
2: Um, well, I don't, yeah, I, I mean, I mean you pretty know. much, I uh, don't. How how would I try to be Rick Johnson? I'm not sure if I get the question on that. Well, one. you know,
1: like a perf- you wanted to be the best motocrosser in the world, the best supercrosser. Oh, okay. that's you know that's what okay. I mean. I
2: wasn't sure what the yeah okay what the Rick Johnson deal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You... Yeah. I mean, obviously, I was trying to be the, the best that I could at whatever I, whatever I was doing, and and uh, yeah, not to uh, disrespect Rick Johnson, yeah, I guess he was uh, the number one guy back in the day yeah. when I was racing, and and whenever I was uh, riding for Factory Honda in 1990. I really looked up to Ricky, and he helped me um, with walking the track and helping me with lines and stuff like that. And and yeah, I w- was trying to be the best I could, and mm-hmm. and getting second both those years really uh, was a was a, a bummer. You know, it, I had a bonus from Factory Yamaha uh, to win the championship, and second place didn't pay anything. So right, and obviously second was the first loser in my book. I wanted to be the winner, but uh, yeah, it was you know I did win the 89 World Supercross championship but that really wasn't that big of a deal uh as a supercross championship was in the US so
3: mm-hmm.
2: um but yeah I won won a few championships uh German Supercross championships and and I uh, won an outdoor Canadian championship uh 1995 in Canada mm-hmm. and I won the um the 10th anniversary Sydney Supercross and so yeah there's some championships that I did win and a lot of races I won but um I guess the supercross championships getting second was a, a bit of a bummer for me.
1: Um now I when I first met you late nineties, mid nineties, late nineties, you were living um out by Seal City at the house at the front of the gate, right? Yep. Still there. Okay, still there. Um yep. by the way, is the track is anything of the track still there or no? Nothing. It's all gone. No, right?
2: it's all all the jumps are leveled and it's all grass and it's Back to farmlands.
1: So let me ask you this: Did you did you get so good at Supercross by building a track out there and riding? Is that where you really honed your skills?
2: Well, I had a track actually in my backyard, um, nothing to do with Steel City, mm-hmm. and uh, we built the track my, ourselves, my father-in-law and myself, and and actually Greg Albertine rode it a bunch with me when he came and stayed at the house for Steel City, but and. I just really liked the tight indoor tracks. I rode arena cross a bunch and won a bunch of arena crosses when I was racing against, you know, Denny and Mm -hmm. Buddy Antonez and Jeremy Buell and, and all the top arena cross guys. And I was just more of an indoor rider. I don't know. I liked to jump. And, and, uh, you know, it was funny because Denny and Buddy always accused me of doing steroids, but I was a farm boy and (laughs) lifted up hay bales and fed the cattle. and, And I was just a tough little farm boy. And, and uh, I think that's why I was, the, you know, they used to call me the um, Matador, and and I was the guy who just, you know, to do what I had to do to win a race in the arena cross, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that's why I, I think I preferred more the indoor racing. So
1: first time I heard of you was '86 uh, or '87. You're on a you're on a Yamaha number 55, and then in '90 yeah. when you got second to Denny, you're on a Honda. Did you get some Honda support, or did you get anything from Yamaha back then, or how did that work?
2: Yeah, I was riding for Team Green under uh, Mark Johnson and okay. Bruce Sternstrom. Um and that was uh eighty four, eighty five, eighty six and okay. I actually went down to the first Miami supercross on a Kajiva. Oh jeez. And I got Okay. Yeah, and I got fourth and I drove whatever it was, like twenty four hours home and I wasn't home ten minutes back before they had cell phones and and I got a call from uh, Keith McCarty mm-hmm. and said they had a factory Yamaha ride for me, and and bikes and factory parts and and uh, you know everything I needed to go racing uh, full time on a factory bike. And so I took that opportunity, and I rode for Factory Yamaha '87, '88, and '89. And and then the AMA said I, that I was pointed out, and I actually had a factory Honda ride that I was supposed to get for 1990. And they gave it to Larry Ward before that. I realized that that I wasn't pointed out. Oh, so I was, I, I left. I was left with no ride, and I rode for local um, dealership Bob Thomas. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I went to the races, then that's when Honda started helping me, and I pitted with them, and, and they gave me factory Mugum forks and some parts, and and that's whenever they picked me up and started helping me throughout the year.
1: Uh, interesting. Yeah. When you look at your results, uh, always better in supercross than motocross, which is, which is funny because, um, you know, just being from PA, you always think of guys like you being, so, you know, motocross guys. And if you look at, you know, basically the East coast guys are always good at motocross, but, and West coast guys were supercross, but back then anyways. Uh, but yeah, yeah. you were definitely better at supercross. There's no doubt. Some really yeah. good results. Yeah.
2: Um, I don't know what it was. I just, was much better on the tight tracks. I'm not quite sure what it was. Um and I wasn't I don't know, it just seemed mm-hmm. like I, I had a problem with going thirty minutes and two laps also <laughs> I had a problem with that I think too. <laughs> no matter how much I trained, I mean I'm you know, even even when I had Todd De Hoop at the house and and uh, um Guy Cooper when I trained with him and I said I was going for a five mile run, he goes, What, that's a marathon and <laughs> You know, some of the guys that used to even beat me wouldn't train like I did, so I'm not quite sure what it was. But yeah, yeah, I just uh, you know I did you know decent in the outdoors. I got fourth at a couple 500 nationals and was top privateer. And Mm -hmm. I was um, my best outdoor finish in 250, I believe, was fifth. And in 125, I think I got some top five finishes, but never you know I was top three uh, in outdoor ever. And obviously, I got a bunch of second place finishes and never got to actually pull a win in supercross but i think i probably <laughs> i probably finished about 20 some second places though yeah a ton of them never got to pull <laughs> off a win and so um uh the did
1: you get so after after you got second to denny in in uh 90 you pointed out uh did you get any help from anybody
2: um yeah i've got um support ride from suzuki okay uh, through my dealership and so I rode Suzuki's from '91 through '96, and then '97 uh, I went back with Team Green, and I got support from Team Green from '97 on. Um, and even whenever I started doing freestyle mm-hmm. um, in '99, Team Green was still helping me through about 2000, I believe, 2005. So um, I, have, I haven't bought a bike since 1981. That's so pretty good. Had, yeah, pretty good still deal. Still get help from my yeah. I still get help from my dealership. Um, for the cycle and stuff. So
1: I should I should after we hang up, I should text you a photo. I still have a Mike Jones '55 jersey from Saskatoon Arena Cross, 1988. Uh, You were up there against Rollerball and all those guys, and uh, I was uh, I would have been 13 or something, and I and I asked for your jersey and you gave it to me. I still have it. Gear racing,
2: yeah, for night out entertainment. That was. The guy that put the races on—I remember that.
1: I oh, remember that race. You wow. remember? Yeah, Bruce Rathbone. Actually, by the way, he just yep. passed away like last week. Funny, huh? Wow, um, that's a bummer. Uh, yeah, you. So my point to that story was: so early on, you were a fixture in a lot of Canadian arena crosses, um, yep. and I imagine you were probably heading elsewhere. It was was early on? You were just like, hey, I got to make money. So who's paying me to travel? Where to go race motorcycles? Is that was that an attitude mm-hmm. you had?
2: Um, yeah, I just was good at indoor racing and it was good money to uh,
1: uh-huh.
2: race the indoors. I started racing in Canada and I was probably the pretty guy that ever beat a rollerball up there, the first guy to ever beat him. And I won the Toronto Supercross four years in a row and that was, yep. you know, paying money. I rode for Morgan Racing and they had a real good team up there and, and that's when the just started going, traveling all over the world. Uh, my first race in, in Europe was for Bob DeYoung in 1986 and I... Race the hard crosses on wood. Oh, you did the hard crosses? Uh, oh man, I did those for years with <laughs> Tom Carson and Mike Byer, yeah, yeah, Louis Franco, and and uh, on the Valodromes and through the hallways and, <laughs> and uh, just insane. Yeah, I raced all over yeah. the world. I mean, I've been to Europe over three hundred times, in South America probably mm-hmm. sixty, in Australia seventy five, eighty times, in Canada I can't even count. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I did whatever whatever I had to do to make a living at it. Right. And and that's pretty much what I did was all indoor races. Uh, by the way, I won that night in Saskatoon. I
1: won, the, I won the eighty support class, Mike. Just want to throw that in there. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so hey, so rollerball was my hero growing up when I was a kid. Obviously, you know, uh, being from Canada, he he was the only guy. He got a couple of podiums in the U.S. Nationals, and he was a very very yeah. good rider. Uh, what's yeah. your best rollerball story? Did you guys actually ever brawl, or was it was it? Um, was it just all kept on the track? Because I could imagine, Mike, you and him just T-boning the shit
2: out of each other uh, for years. Yeah, we did. Um, we definitely had our moments on the track. We never got into it off the track. We had such respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And he was a hardcore racer, and he knew it was pretty much on the track, and he wanted to win as bad as I did.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Um, And we got along, and I think it was just a, a major respect thing. And he... He was a true professional and i really believe that you know that i was too and and we were there to win and we did whatever it took to win and off the track we were yeah. we were friends that was pretty much it and and i respect rollerball still to this day
1: uh carl and rollerball and jsr and and you took them all on at toronto montreal you know and never mind the national series
2: with uh yep i have a and marco dubay and yeah, Dubé. Those, those are yeah. pretty much the top guys up there were all the guys you name with dubay and and uh, i was Probably one of the only guys that you know went up there, time in and time out, and battled with those guys, and and I, you know, had a lot of fans in Canada because I would go up there and and uh, put on a good show and and beat those guys somewhat cleanly, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> you know, and and that's why I think I got a lot of fans up there, and mainly in Quebec, um, you know, because of the, the how many times I went up there
1: and, mm-hmm. and did what I did. Okay, so. I remember you at a few of those races that I just talked about. Now, this is, you know, you're a full, full-time full racer at this point, trying to make a living that way. But I remember you entering a lot of those radical jump contests. Um, yep. They paid a little bit, and you went out there. Uh, I think the Crown Royal bag on the head was when you were still a racer even. So when did you start being like, hey, like, I'm good at this, and I can make some money doing Like, when did you start thinking about, yeah, jumping is, is more for me.
2: Yeah, um, well, 1989, I believe, is the first time I went to Australia. Mm-hmm. And they did. that's when Gordon Ward did the heel clicker. Okay. And that, that's my first ever intermission contest I did um, for Phil Christensen over in Australia. And that's when it all began. And I was the one over there with Craig Anderson. He was on an 80. And... and uh, uh what steven and andrew and just all the guys intermission all the racers and and then it got to be so big you know the intermission jump contests and remember landed i was the first guy to land no hands and i landed no hands at the columbus arena cross with larry pegram the road racer was standing there with larry myers and he didn't believe i was going to do it uh-huh and i did it and and just barely missed them two guys still with no hands on my <laughs> bike when i dr- drove by them and uh yeah, and then it was obviously became a sport, and I think with 1998, I won that first ever freestyle contest at the MCD Freeride Contest. And I said, Well, heck, you know, this is the new big up and coming thing, and and I can uh, really put my, um, you know, everything that I have into this. And, and, and motocross was, and arena cross was starting to die off for me, and this is the new yep. big up and coming sport, and that's when I
1: went for it. So you were always. Good at jumping, though, right? Like the whole time you raced, and and those radical jumps and everything, and like no problems. Like you were always good at it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was never had a problem. Wasn't I think I want to say I, I was never scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always one of the first ones to jump the triples or quads or whatever it was on the track. And, yep. And I pretty much had no fear. And and that's the way you have to be if you know if, you know as well as I do. If you're if you're afraid to jump something, you probably shouldn't be out there anyway. And but I was probably one of the first ones to jump a lot of the things and on the track and and uh when we go out free riding I was one of the first ones to jump stuff and and even when we went out free riding there's some of the things I jumped um it, even that some of the other guys didn't jump even the top freestyle guys. So uh-huh. I think that's what uh, you know made me stand up above the other guys.
1: And almost um you know, we all remember Travis Pastrana and how what he did to the freestyle world. You almost yeah. started that a little bit because you took a racer's mentality to freestyle a little bit, huh?
2: Yeah. Um, I think, well, all of us were racers back in the beginning. I mean, yeah. Clifford, Tommy, Tilton, True. Travis. Yep. Pretty much all of us, and the first guy I think that wasn't really much of a racer was Nate Adams, and I remember doing the indoor races with him, and he couldn't. He couldn't make the corner because he didn't know how to use the front brake. And <laughs> obviously, he improved a bunch after that, and he started racing. But um, we were all racers back then, and and now you see a bunch of the, you know, freestyle guys that are out there doing it that that never raced. So, um, but it was pretty much, you know, all racers out there doing what doing the uh, freestyle. Where's the.
1: Uh... Well, let's, let's stick to racing for a second. Let's st- stick with the racing. Um, at some point, you headed over to Germany, as you mentioned. Uh, I did that series as well for one winter for a uh, for a team, uh, a Thomas Knight KTM team, um, before, yep. I, before I quit and went back home. And JT, good buddy of mine, Jason Thomas, won it a couple times. But this series has been going on for a long time. And uh, how many times did you do it? How many times did you win the title? Did you ever win one of those Porsches they were giving away?
2: Yep, I was uh, the king of Dortmund, and that's where, where you win the Porsche. And uh, actually, I won it um, the year that they quit giving the Porsche away. Oh, so, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't the 50000 I won a Skoda, which is a Czech car. <laughs> yeah. I went from a Porsche to a Skoda, so a $50,000 car to a twenty. But I made about $30,000 that weekend, so it wasn't a bad weekend. But um, I believe the year before um i won it was mike craig and the year after i won might have been mike brown or something but um anyway i won, won the overall for the weekend but uh and i won i think i've won the ADAC Supercross championship um i think 3 or 4 years in a row over there but there's good racing and and definitely uh, a lot of good fans over there which you would know that
1: yeah, yeah, it was crazy, right? They probably loved you. You were playing up with to, to the crowd and everything. I, I bet it was just insane.
2: Probably the, best, the only race I can compare to Dortmund as far as crowd noise and response yeah. might be Paris, and that would be it. Because everybody in the place has an air horn, chainsaw, chainsaw, chains, yeah, chainsaws. Yeah. Ten, twelve thousand people. It, it's crazy. <laughs> I bet.
1: Uh, where yeah. was the Where was the weirdest place you ever raced at? Where where who paid you the the most money to go to the weirdest place?
2: Um well, I raced in a Bermuda Triangle. No, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um and that was I guess that was probably the weirdest place we raced, but it was a pretty pretty nice place. Yeah. Um I can't that that's probably the only one I can really think of right off the top of my head. I can't really think of any place else.
1: Okay. never raced all over the yeah. world. But yeah, you never went to some weirdo country in South America or anything where you were scared for your life or anything like that?
2: Well, we went to Mexico when we weren't supposed to and we weren't allowed to leave the hotel um, like five or six years ago. And, and uh, we, we, you know, we weren't supposed to even leave to go eat or do anything. We we <laughs> just had to stay in the hotel, and we got shuttled to our – because of all the stuff going on with the drugs and the war mm-hmm. down there. and yep. So that was pretty wild. But, um, yeah, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head right now, to be honest. Where did you get the idea of putting a bag over your
1: head and still doing a jump, Mike? Where did you come up
2: well, with that? I started <laughs> taking off and landing with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And then I figured, well, if I can do it with my eyes closed, then there's no reason why I can't put a helmet bag over my head and do it totally blindfold. So I figured that's another one of my tricks I can do for X games. And Right. I would I would go up to the ramp with the helmet bag on and then like twenty feet before the ramp to make sure I was actually gonna hit the ramp. Then I would pull the thing down and go through the air blindfold and then land blindfold and then pull it off before you hit the wall. And uh I think some people think I might have holes cut in or whatever, but I I couldn't see. You could see, yeah, like shapes or light. lights, right? Light or whatever. Yeah. right, Yeah. If you, if you ever put one on, you can see light and you can see, like maybe a shape. But I can tell you, cannot see the landing. You can't see a person. You can't see where you're going, <laughs> and it's you might as well be in the dark. So it, it was, it was probably something I shouldn't be doing, and I did crash doing it. And that, did you? Yeah. That's the last time I did it, I probably did it three or four times, and until I crashed, and then I, then it was. The trick was done for me.
1: I'm pretty sure I saw you do it at Montreal one year.
2: Yeah, I did it in Montreal one year. Yeah, um,
1: I think I saw you do it in Montreal. Yeah, I was uh, like, oh, my uh, God, he's got a bag on his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where'd you? Yeah. Hey, where'd you crash doing it? Where was it?
2: I I think I crashed in Paris doing it in Bercy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think i landed a little bit short and crashed, and, mm-hmm. and I hurt my wrist doing it, and I'm like, okay, that's it. That's enough. I'm, yeah. done, I'm done doing it. Right, right. Learned my lesson. Yeah, really,
1: right? Um, so your racing career is winding down, like you said. You're starting to get into freestyle a little bit, starting to realize um, you know, this is where the money's at. And and also too, Mike, not as much training and, and all that needed for freestyle. Lots of fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much no well, no cardio training at right. least anyway. Right. Weightlifting, but um but yeah, it took a lot of practice and uh as far as hitting the ramps go, but um not much training other than that, but a uh, lot of, a lot of goofing off and yeah. that kind of thing. And that's, that's, yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say other than that.
1: <laughs> what, uh, what was the most money you made at a freestyle contest, or or show up money or anything? What were you pulling uh, down in your heyday, Mike? When you were like, you know, the man.
2: Yeah, I think the most. Well, I was getting right around ten thousand dollars a show, and if I did three shows a weekend, thirty thousand dollars. Sweet! How awesome is uh, that, right? Yeah, it was pretty good. And then that was that was over in Australia on the Krusty tour.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, and then probably the the only time racing I made that money was was uh, over in Germany. Um, so yeah, I had some pretty good weekends
1: for sure. Definitely. Um, oh, you mean like Germany racing Dortmund or racing the whole series or whatever?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dortmund or winning the series or, yep. you know, in a, in a weekend, probably the most I ever made racing was 30,000, I think.
1: God, how many air miles yeah. do you have, Mad Mike?
2: Holy shit. Wow. Well, I, was, I was gold with US Air and Platinum with <laughs> other airlines. I can't remember the airlines, but Just. I, was, I was flying over two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand 250,000 miles a year and... <laughs> Even if i didn't have the i was flying first class with um, Australian airlines I'd get on the airplane i wasn't didn't have all that many airlines with some of the air or miles with some of the mm-hmm. airlines but I'd get on and the the stewardesses would recognize me and and uh just set us up front anyway because they knew we were flying with them so much crusty Demons of dirt too in australia they were they were pretty much uh pretty famous over there and mm-hmm. As famous as Kelly Slater, the the what, seven or eight time yeah. world surf champion, yeah. so they traded us pretty well.
1: Thanks to Fly Racing and Alpine Star Protects for coming on this podcast. Now here's some commercials from Race Tech and Michelin. Listen, all right. Thanks. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis podcast on Racer X. I want to talk to you a little bit about Race Tech. The folks at Race Tech have been uh, on board with us for a long time, and use the code PulpMX17 when you're checking out to save money. Get your suspension done, please. Come on, give your bike some love. If you're looking to get the most of your bike suspension, get Racetech's proven lineup of suspension components and services done at the headquarters in Corona, California, or at your local Racetech service center. And check out the helpful guides on Racetech.com and pick up a do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Things have been around a long time. Also, too, Racetech doing engines now. Valve jobs, porting, honing, decking, and more. Whether you're looking for a rebuild or a high-performance upgrade, Racetech's engine services department experience, staff, and state-of-the-art equipment have you covered. I can vouch for that. I've seen it myself. Give Racetech a call and mention Mex for a special discount. Please, check them out. Thanks to the guys at Racetech.
0: Randy Richardson from Michelin here, and I'd like to thank the Pulp and Mix Show listeners for your support and share some information about Michelin motorcycle tires. Michelin offers motorcycle tires for everything from cruisers to sport touring, sport bikes, and adventure touring motorcycles. And as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our iconic partnership with Harley-Davidson, you'll find Michelin Scorcher tires on an increasing number of factory-equipped Harley-Davidson motorcycles. New for 2017, Michelin introduces the new benchmark for sport bike tires, the Michelin Power RS, featuring many of Michelin's patented technologies, all of which contribute to the incomparable grip, handling, and flickability of the Michelin Power RS. I just want to hear the motocross stuff. enough. Let's focus on the Michelin Starcross 5. Because the Pulp MX show listeners are important to Michelin, we're going to continue to sponsor Steve's janky radio show. That's right. While I'm not like some people who say, I know everything. I do know a few things about motorcycle tires, and I'd like to share some of the key features and benefits of the Michelin Starcross 5 tires with you. And I promise it's not a bunch of corporate blah, blah, blah. The Michelin Starcross 5 tires are specifically designed for use in a broad range of conditions and terrain. They're available in sand, soft, medium, and hard versions, and are offered in 21 size and fitment applications.
3: Yeah, you like that?
0: In addition to the exceptional performance and durability, the redesigned architecture of the Michelin StarCross 5 features a bead profile that makes the tires easier to install. And everyone knows...
3: Easier mounting,
0: always a good feature. If you're riding on Michelin StarCross 5 tires, but you have friends that are still buying other brands, please tell them... No, 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 no. Encourage them to try a set of Michelin StarCross 5 tires. And if you haven't tried Michelin StarCross 5 tires yet... You're out of your mind, you out of your mind. Visit your local dealer or online retailer to purchase a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires and install them on your bike. Who knows, they might just help you learn to do a backflip in a day. It worked for the Doom Goon. To learn more, visit MichelinMotorcycle.com and follow us on Instagram at MichelinMotorcycle.
1: Back in the heyday of freestyle motocross, did you ever think that somebody would be doing a double
2: backflip now? No. Right? No. No, I, I didn't think so. And I was just thinking about this today. That where is it really going to go from here? I'm pretty sure it's. I don't know, going man. Because because the the best tricks now are are the big air. The best tricks are just double backflip, knack knack, one hander. or want it today and or yesterday, whenever it is I taped it. But um, I don't think it's really too much more they can really do that I know of. But. And again, I didn't think that you'd be doing a double backflip, so who knows? Did you Did you ever pull a backflip? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing them down at Travis's before they even had the foam pit. I did them on the, the step up on the mulch. Okay, and uh, then, I, then I went for it on dirt and landed short and got knocked out and wasn't breathing and oh, life and What? Oh, jeez! Yeah, yeah, down at down at Travis's, and and that's when I said, you know what? I'm not doing the backflip. It's not worth it. I want to be able to live to see my grandkids so that's that's when I told myself it wasn't gonna backflip anymore so
1: yeah somebody somebody told me one time that the the backflip uh you know tomcat as well and yourself just a lot of you guys couldn't wouldn't do it and that yeah. was it there goes there goes the contest there goes the money and everything else right yes
2: Mark. yeah well I think for me was I don't know it just I raced so many years and it just there was no way I could see myself coming natural to me mm-hmm. to go off of a ramp or go off of a dirt hit and to look back and yeah. keep my head back until I'm um, landing again. And I just every time I go to look back, and I go upside down and be like, "Oh, where am I at?" So mm-hmm. I just raced so many years and went off so many jumps that I couldn't find myself getting comfortable with doing it, and and I couldn't turn my brain off enough to tell myself to do it to where I could get comfortable enough. I mean, I have pulled enough in the foam pit once the foam pit became available down at Travis's that I was landing them perfect. Yep. And and I just said, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. It's just not worth it. I've had too many concussions and been knocked unconscious and, all, you know, mm-hmm. been a life flight so many times, and, and yep. uh, I just decided it wasn't worth it to me.
1: Yeah, you know what's crazy is the guy that we produces my Monday Night Pulpemec show, he he's a rider but he's not a racer. He he uh just rides for fun and he said he could do a backflip and Randy Richardson from Michelin set it up and he went to Travis's for a day and a half and he pulled a yep. backflip from Travis just teaching him step by step and yep. and I'm like holy crap, like, I was so impressed. It was so crazy that this guy pulled it off and uh yep. and he did and it was just one of those things where Travis was like you have to just believe and and almost because you're you, he wasn't really a a rider at all like a racer he was able to be taught by Travis like hundred percent kind of without any preconceived riding you know skills yeah necessarily yeah. so um, yeah. really different um and it's funny though so as we tape this uh, the X Games just just ended like you said really sad where the X Games is gone where whether it's whether it's freestyle or whether it's the X Games itself Mike I mean. I don't want to be one of those, you know, uh, old men that walked uphill to school both ways. But when yourself and and, and Nate and Pastrana, I mean, those were that was must see TV. I don't know what's happened. To, what's happened to freestyle in the X Games? In your opinion? Uh,
2: I don't know. I mean, I I didn't even watch it the last few years, and uh-huh. and I did tape it this year, and I watched a little bit of it uh, when I have time. I'm so busy these days, but. Yeah. Um, it just seems like it's so you know repetitive, and yeah, and uh, all the tricks are the same now. You know, back when we were doing it, it was all brand new, and sure, and, and you know, you've seen one trick, you've seen them all. But I mean, I I really respect what the guys are doing. Obviously, you know, the double backflips and the the three sixty still, and and you know the 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 body varials they're doing, and the um, the quarter pipe tricks they're doing <laughs> and stuff, and by by all means i I respect what they're doing, but um, and I can't see myself doing any of them but yeah. uh, I don't know i just I just think you know we've we've seen it you know and yeah, I think yeah. That's as yep. as why it's not as popular you know back when when I was doing it, it was all brand new, and you know even uh, a no hander lander was the, the one of the biggest things out in the kiss of death that that I won the gold medal with and and now, you know, everybody's seen all that in the rock solids mm-hmm. and the backflip rock solids. And, and you know, there's pretty much no trick out there. E- even what Jacko Strong did, you know, we've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And even though he landed it um, this year, we've already seen it before. So, um, you know, that's where I'm saying I'm not sure where it's going to go for, right. um, for next year. Were you around when Hart did his backflip in Cleveland? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was there.
1: Um, And he was like, "I'm going to try this backflip." And you're like, "What are you talking about? Are you are you crazy?"
2: Yeah. No. I I I knew he could do it, and it's you know I was even there whenever he went way high in the air and threw the bike away. I think that was uh, maybe Providence or wherever that was. But oh yeah, all all the originals and and uh, but that that was you know that was history there and. Um, you know, the original stuff and that's back whenever everybody was it was still new, you know. That mm-hmm. was and it was it was all brand new when I was there with Mike Metzger whenever he went out to the sand dunes and set up his ramp and and before foam pits and was just landing on a on a sand dune and that kind of thing. So it's come a long way. What was the gnarliest trick you pulled? What was the
1: sum of the learning curve that you had to do?
2: Um, well, I guess, the you know, the kiss of death. And I went yep. from that to doing the handstands on the bike, which was, you know, the fully extended kiss of death. And, um, you know, landing no hands. I started landing one hand, and then I, you know, was landing no hands off of just a 10-foot, you know, double. And then yep. the, I landed no hands off 100-foot, you know, gaps on uh, ramps back when they had the 90- to 100-foot gaps at some of the contests. And so I guess that's pretty much, you know, or – landing uh side saddle, doing a kiss of death, a side saddle lander. And so, and they're not that big of a deal because I quit doing X games in 03. That was the last X games I did. And it's that's when I went for the barrel rollover and play dead. <laughs> it was the, last, it was the last trick I went for and landed yeah. on my head and knocked out. And, I
1: remember that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah I, I forgot about that. it until you
1: just brought it up, but that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting the progression of of all this stuff over the years and and where it's gone and everything else. Um, When you was ESPN taking good care of you money wise for those gold medals and those medals at the Winter X and everything else? Like was it paying off
2: pretty well for you? Um, I think it was. I think it was ten thousand to win Mm -hmm. and five for second, and then like three for third. And then everybody got together at Winter X the first year that I won the gold medal. And agreed to make it closer together for you know everybody, okay. not to be big prize money for first and and uh, we you know we all agreed that we all deserve to be paid and we were all out there risking uh, the same thing and so then I think it went to like seven five four three two you know everybody got more money and um, so we 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 brought the prize money closer together but we all got paid pretty decent I mean it wasn't major money yeah um you know, it wasn't 15 20, 000, like some people might think but um you know it was a good payday for sure and we got good money from sponsors and and i was riding for red bull back then and you know we, we all got bonuses from our from our big sponsors you know clothing and and a lot of energy drinks are in, into it now and back then it was just red bull but yeah um uh, obviously all the energy drink sponsors are in now and still uh, a lot of the clothing sponsors and uh, after, you know, market sponsors and stuff coming in. And mm-hmm. so it's I'm sure they all got the bonuses coming in. Now
1: you've been on the line for Supercross main events. You've been on podiums. You lined up, you know, 250 Supercrosses, everything else. Did you get as nervous at X Games and these kind of contests that, that than you did when you were racing?
2: Um, I would say more nervous. Really? More?
1: Know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more nervous, like going for the barrel roll, knowing you could land on your head and, you know, maybe not ever walk again or something to that nature. And, you know, you couldn't think about that, obviously, you know, when you're getting ready to roll in and and hit the kicker ramp or something. But, you know, it's in the back of your mind. So, and it obviously did happen to me where I, yeah. you know, cracked a bone on my hip and was knocked unconscious. And, and, uh, see, so yeah, that's, a, I can tell you these, these guys, kids that are going for like double backflips and yeah. stuff that they've never tried before—they're um, going through a lot. And you know, I got nervous on the line whenever I would line up, but nothing—nothing nothing like you do whenever you're going for a chick or you know you're risking your life.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah. the 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 racing. Uh, let's go back into the into the racing a little bit. Um, what was your best one you've ever had? What was your best race that stands out for you, Mike? Uh ooh. Is there one that where you were just on fire or one you remember? Like you said, you never got a ton of podiums,
2: never won, but pretty close. I know I. Um, I know one that stands out. I beat um, Guy Cooper and Ross and everybody at the mm-hmm. Omni okay. Atlanta. Um, there was probably 10 or 12 real fast guys there, and I think I was still number 396. I didn't even turn – Full pro yet didn't have a national number, uh-huh. and I won, and I beat Kai Cooper and Ross Peterson and Fred Andrews and and uh, a lot of top guys, and you know I beat Jeremy before back when he was Supercross champion, and mm-hmm. over in 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 Europe and I beat Chad Reed before in Australia, and so I've had a lot of good races where I've yeah beat Supercross champions and stuff, so I don't really know if there is one that actually stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have beat, you know, Supercross champions at the time in arena cross because I was really fast in arena cross. So, um, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't really know if there is one that fully stands out. I mean, I led to 500 national. I passed, I think, Bale and Stanton and Ward and led, led Steel City 500 national for 20 minutes till I got tired on a, Box stock, KX 500 <laughs> I got from the dealership the day before the race. And I, and I just put a set of handlebars on it and rode it, and that was it. Put the numbers on it and raced. Oh, how funny then is that? They put, yeah. yeah, they put in Cycle News. Mike Jones finishing fourth, top privateer, whose bedroom window overlooks the Steel City Raceway, but then I went next weekend to Bud's Creek and finished fourth again. So and then they didn't put nothing in the Cycle News. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, really, right? You're like, oh, ah, yeah. damn it. Um, yeah. What was the funnest time for you racing? Do you have a, like, uh, you, look, again, you've, you raced all over the world. You did a lot of racing, Germany, Canada, U.S. Was there a particular time that was the most fun for you?
2: Um, now you got some hard questions for me.
1: I know, that's what um, we do on this show. Yeah.
2: I know, uh, I traveled with Keith Bowen when he was riding for Tough in the box. band with him, we had some fun times. And I traveled with Guy Cooper and J- and his um, wife back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were privateers. Um, obviously, my wife went with me everywhere. She ran the pit board. And she scraped the mud from underneath my fenders with, with a putty knife. And I mean, it was just full privateer for me back in the day. And that that's I think was the most fun for me. When, yeah. Yeah. When I was doing it all on my own, and I was traveling, you know, with like like I said, Guy Cooper or Keith Bowen, and just true, yeah, hardcore motocrossers, you know, just giving it all that they're all and driving through the night, and and sometimes sleeping in hotel parking lots in the in the box van or yeah, yeah, um, you know that that's pretty much hardcore true motocross right there, and they don't really have much of that anymore, but. That's what it was back in the day, and we had sleepers in our stretch vans, and where you fold the fold the little bench seat out in yeah. the back, and unroll the sleeping bags and go and go to sleep, you know. And that's what it was back in the day, and we traveled twenty, thirty, forty hours, you know, straight through to get to the next race. Yeah, yeah. Those I good. think that was you know the funnest times because it cause, uh, made you appreciate it more, and and we worked hard, and and I think that was true motocross, and that's that. I think that was that was a lot of fun for me back then.
1: You got a Davey Coombs story for us? You can share with the on the Racer X podcast? You've known Davey forever. Yeah,
2: um definitely respect Davey and Timmy and and so much um Dave Coombs senior. They did a lot for our sport, um especially locally because that's, you know, I raced against Davey, obviously, he was yeah. local and uh, his dad promoted Steel City, which was our track and How was how was
1: Davey's skills? Pretty good, huh?
2: Yeah, he was very good, and and him and his brother both. And my my Davey story was my first ever expert race. I was winning everything in the B class. It was at Brownsville Loser and Park, mm-hmm. and it was in a park, and it was all natural train track, it was one of the nicest tracks we had. And obviously uh, Dave Senior um, put on the race, and I got third to first moto, and it was a forty man gate. Back in the day, we had a forty man expert gate, and I got third, and I got. Um, third behind Davey and Timmy and I threw up after the race cuz I just totally <laughs> overdid it rode over my head and and uh it was like 75 80 degrees and mm-hmm. and just overdid it and but uh Davey and I used to get into it and Timmy yeah we 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 were real aggressive that that I can't remember <laughs> we'd knock each other off the track and give each other the fist when we go by the next lap and <laughs> Yeah, Dave was a true competitor, and Timmy, we, oh. and Jeff Glass, and oh, Glassy, and yeah, Glassy, D- D- Dickie Ballora and Chucky Byers. There were ten guys locally uh-huh. that could win a local race um, back in the early '80s—82, '83, '84, '85—locally for our for our district five, and and I think that's why you know why we were all so good because it was so competitive.
1: I should get, I should get, do one of these with uh, with glass. I got
2: to find out what that guy's up to, Jeff. Glass. I got his number and I've hung out. And we went to Warp Tour. Did you? Uh, oh, yeah. Nice. Went, well, went. Yeah, a couple years ago, and went and seen uh, Strung Out and Pennywise in Pittsburgh. And oh, cool. He's still around. Oh yeah. He hasn't changed a bit. Field of but dream has still. Long, long hair it, and still, <laughs> still squeals when he talks. <laughs> nice, nice. I stayed
1: at yeah. his house back in '96 for a little bit. Uh, back in the day. Um, yeah. One thing about you, Mike, is uh, I don't think there's ever been a racer in the history of the sport that has worn more different gear brands than you. You had some weirdo gear brands over the years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. if someone had money,
2: you were going to wear it. Yep. I well, I was getting <laughs> shoot. I was only getting maybe twenty twenty five thousand to wear gear in the U S. And I was getting a hundred thousand from European companies. Were wore, you really? Huh. Wow. Yeah. I was, yeah o b g original battle gear from germany and <laughs> and uh off the wall and, um, and, uh, Feroci and Feroci, yeah, i remember the Feroci stuff, yeah. yeah yeah and we imported that stuff, my wife and i and just so you know that's why I was wearing it it might not have been the <laughs> no it was it was it was trendy, but uh yeah i definitely i don't think I've wore as many, but Yes. you know first sure. I switched a lot but i <laughs> but I've worked because you know they they paid me good money and and uh yeah, that's yeah. funny you say that because I still have some of it too.
1: No, I mean, yeah, I don't. It's not an insult. I mean, it means that people were paying yeah. you, and you're like, "Cool, right on." I'll wear whatever yeah. if you pay me. So, yeah, uh,
2: yeah.
1: N- n- right. there's no doubt. Um, what the hell happened in Miami Airport with you? Um, what went on with that? You made the news. We were we were reading yeah. it. It was it was a uh, you got. Taken down by some cops. What happened there, Mad Mike? Yeah,
2: well, I don't mind explaining this because I want to clarify. Uh, yeah. well, I came back from Costa Rica, and they our plane was late. We didn't get into like one in the morning. Then they held me at customs because I had a mohawk and a black eye, and Mad Mike on my knuckles. Obviously, I was down there riding and got into a crash. hmm And uh, so, and I'm bipolar, and I didn't have my medication. I stayed an extra few days. Um, and anyway. Uh, so I got into Miami, and uh, they lost my luggage. Like I said, and I was in the baggage claim,
3: uh-huh.
2: and there was no one else around. And the security officer is like, "What are you doing?" You know, he's said, like, "Get on the ground now," because I had a backpack, and that was it. There was no one around. Uh huh. So he's like, "What's this guy doing?" You know, is he a terrorist yeah. or bomb, or whatever? So I got on the ground, and he said, "Push the backpack away." Said, so "Push the backpack away," and I stood up and I said, "What's going on?" And he shot me with a taser. And this guy was like six foot five, like he's standing like 30 feet away from me. And he shot me with a taser and it hit me in the chest. And I remember pulling out of my chest and then I blacked out from there. And I don't remember anything till I had five cops standing around me. And then I remember laying on, I remember giving up and laying on my back. Mm-hmm. And then the the original guy stuck a taser in my stomach and burned a hole through my shirt and burnt my skin cause I had the scars from that for or, you know the next three or four days yeah. <laughs> marks the burn mark. And then the, the guy choked me out, you know, put his forearm again <laughs> into my throat. And then they put me in the back of a police car and took me to jail. And, and, uh, yeah, those was, I was facing, uh, 12 years, two, two felonies, two misdemeanors and Holy. assault and battery police officer resisting arrest. And, and, uh, Yeah, I got out of it because uh, um, the bipolar thing, and didn't know what I was doing, and um, they attacked me. But obviously, we see it now, you know, every day, Mm -hmm. how police officers, you know, you know, attacking guys that didn't do nothing wrong, and I didn't do anything wrong. Um, They they
1: thought you were just by yourself with a backpack, looking suspicious. I guess
2: that's they just yeah yeah pretty much, and and uh, they didn't want to mess with the. With a guy that looked like me, with my Michael on his <laughs> knuckles and and a, and a mohawk and mean looking at two in the morning, wandering baggage claim at Miami International Airport. So, um, but anyway, it all worked out, and you know, it it, it cost me fifty thousand dollars in lawyers' fees, but um, you know, everything happens for a reason, and Damn. you know, yeah. now I take my medication, and uh, and everything works, everything's smooth. <laughs> That's Damn, that was, yeah, that was gnarly. That, that, that definitely
0: yeah. the,
1: the press made it out like you attacked, you attacked five cops or something. You know? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So. Well, they they did have some clips on, uh, you know, CNN mm-hmm. and, and the, the local news, and they had, you know, all this guy's come back from Miami. It didn't turn out so good for the police officers, and they had police with ice on their nose and ice on their ear and ice on their one Was laying on the baggage belt, ice on his knee, and and I felt bad, you know, because I respect the police, you know, and yeah. and obviously all the things that's going on these days now, and and I'm like, I don't even remember swinging once, let alone, yeah, yeah, you know, what what happened to five police officers, and and yeah, no, I, I definitely wanted, to, then you know, don't want to, yeah, it's all behind me now, and I just i am glad it is, and yeah, really, right. Scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So,
1: yeah. Was Travis Pastrana the best ever freestyle rider?
2: Yeah. You think? I, yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> I would say yeah. Just because. <laughs> you sound like you don't want to admit it. No, <laughs> no, no. I just, I'm just thinking. But right. Um, I think what I want to say, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he started it all, and he just was the, the, the crazy kid that would try anything and. And yeah, I mean, he's the one that started it all and you know mm-hmm. and and Metzger and Hart and myself and Clowers doing the little, you know, things that Tommy did and and uh you know, even Deegan and just I think the original guys are the ones that just are are not maybe getting some of the you know the recognition and respect that we you know, we we should be even, you know, Seventeen, eighteen years later, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, who remembers that, that that I'm the one that invented the kiss of death and then landed no hands for the first time, and and they're still doing them this to this day, no hand or landers and the kiss of death and and that kind of thing, and the backflip that you know Kerry went for and uh-huh. Mike Metzger landed the first one, and and uh, you know the things that Travis did, and um, you know, and he, even Geoff Gaskin now's landing. Front flips at every show there is And, the you know he's doing it in the United States that you know people don't even you know there's guys out there that people don't even know of that are doing stuff and and uh, yeah I would say yep. Travis definitely because um, he's it was the 15 year old kid that won the first ever contest and and uh, he's, he's by far
1: and you yeah. were and you were the grizzled veteran looking at this kid going like ah shit look
2: at him look what I got to do now yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I was the first one to beat him in qualifying, and then in Vegas at the four-leaf entertainment, and, and I got second on the second day. I even went to bed early that night, I'm like, I'm going to win tomorrow. <laughs> I went to bed early in Vegas. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I went out, and I got second, and his dad called me and says, Mike, you know you won that event. So <laughs> made me feel good, but... Um, but uh, Travis had never been beat up until that point, even in qualifying. And I beat him in qualifying, you know. And mm-hmm. So Travis was pretty much unbeatable back in the day. And, and he's still just a great kid. And I haven't talked to him in a while, but I used to go down and stay at his house. And his dad used to give me keys to his truck and the house. And, and uh, you know, they, they used to come up here and stay. And him and his mom come up here before they ever had Oh, really? Ramps. Yep. Dirt. Yeah, he stayed at my house in and, and his box fan. And, Come in the house and plugged his computer in back when he was oof, back in ninety eight, ninety nine before the first text games, and he practiced at my house. And so I was pretty tight with the with the Pastrana family, uh, you know, way back in the beginning. And mm-hmm. and they're definitely a great bunch of people for sure, and they still are.
1: Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, those tours, those Krusty tours, you were doing in Australia. Um, first of all, from what I heard, they were insane. Uh, amount of spectators and two how much fun
2: were they um yeah they were They were a lot of fun i mean that like everywhere you go people would recognize you and you you would get in for free anywhere you wanted to go uh-huh. and, and uh you know like i said even the, the airplane rides over there they the students would recognize you and put you up front and and uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun and and they they sold out every venue they were at and uh you know, John Freeman and Dana Nicholson definitely had a thing going on for sure. Um, it's you know, it's a bummer that it all had to end. But I think uh, when Nitro Circus, you know, started up and and they wanted to do both shows, mm-hmm. um, that's whenever they had a falling out and, and things things uh, separated, and and then Krusty ended up um, taking a dive. I guess
1: I don't know. You should uh, you should call up your buddy Pastrana and be like, Travis. Put me in nitro. I'm ready. You, I'll, I'll take a bathtub down a down a, a ramp because that's
2: what they do. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I yeah. Well, I, yeah. Jones I is know. back. Mad Mike is back. Yeah. Uh, maybe if I had a scrub brush, I would, but I don't know. <laughs> I think that's what they do to I
3: don't, know.
1: dude. I don't even know. Yeah, I went to a few of them. They're great. They're great shows. Um, and uh, and Pastrana got you know got it figured out along with uh, uh, Jeremy Rawl and all those guys. Um, any regrets, man? Any regrets, Mike? Uh, maybe maybe the airport thing, but uh, like in your career, in your racing career or freestyle stuff. Like you talk about some of those crashes you had, and and, and was there something that you were just like, ah, I knew I shouldn't have done that, or, or whatever? Do you have any regrets in your in your long career?
2: Well, um, maybe I just, I don't know, not really. No? I probably should have, I mean, Keith McCarty told me I should move to California, and they all said I should move out west, you know. And Mm -hmm. living in Pennsylvania, you know, you definitely um, miss out on a lot of things, you know, being from the East Coast and, um, you know, California, when you're closer to everybody and everything, you, you definitely have more opportunity to, even as even as much as being in the magazine and getting shots and, you know, getting more covers or maybe, you know, getting, you definitely have more opportunities, yep. you know, being closer to the factories. Um, and I did stay with uh, Keith McCarty's best friend, you know, during the winter sometimes for two or three months and be able to ride to Supercross tracks.
3: But mm-hmm.
2: I would say that's the only thing maybe, maybe I should have went out west and stayed out there more so I could train more and yeah. and, and uh, ride with faster guys in Supercross tracks. And But there's no place like home and and uh you know, I wanted to be home with my family and so I guess that's maybe my only regret. Maybe I could have done a little better, um, if I would have maybe made the move and, and uh stayed out west maybe more. But um that's t- probably about it. Like I said, I trained a bunch and mm-hmm. and uh did all I could back back in the day and and uh gave hundred and ten percent, I know that. So I think I think
1: people can Strongly say that Mike Jones gave it hundred and ten percent on and off the track for many years.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was I was a showman on the track and off the track. Yeah. And, uh, somebody told somebody, me uh
1: somebody told me years ago you brought a bar you bought a bike into the bar in Montreal
2: or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we used to do that all the time. I go in there and burn the tire off and fill the place with smoke and then leave. <laughs> That, yeah. that was a way to do it so it was closing time I'd, I'd 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 get the people to leave with the smoke uh but,
1: so a couple of people were like yeah we we have to switch after we have to switch uh bars for the after party every every year because jonesy would go and and r- bring his dirt bike in every single every yeah. single
2: race so yeah yeah
1: that
2: was the morgan racing thing though right that was crazy. Well,
1: um but, yeah good times no doubt um well, that's fun, yeah, and and that's I think what you kind of epitomized uh, whether it was freestyle stuff or racing or, or everything else. Because uh, every time I go somewhere and your name comes up, everyone's got a story, Mad Mike, and and that and I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean like you lived it, man, and 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 I think. The, th- the things you could probably tell us uh, off the off there when we're not recording it would be probably just as good as the things you've told us in this hour, because uh, everyone's got a Mad Mike story, and then there was this time he did this, and then Jones did this, and then Mike T-boned yeah. me here, and then the- he did this. <laughs> it's just phenomenal, yeah. the-, the amount of stories people have.
2: Yeah, I've had uh, at least a dozen people tell me I should write a book. And right. Even Chad-, Chad Reed had a story he told to my buddies um, two weeks in a row at... It- um, I think it was, you know, Dylan and the next weekend at Steel City a few years back um, about Australia, how we went to um after party mm-hmm. uh, at Heaven's Nightclub in Adelaide. And there was like 100 people outside waiting to get in. and We went right in the exit door and I high-fived the bouncers and we went in and drank for free the whole night. <laughs> and uh, right. he, he, just, he just couldn't believe that, that a guy from the United States walked right in the exit and high-fived the bouncers and got free drinks. <laughs> So, that's uh, that's as bad that's as bad Mike Jones story because he told it two weeks in a row. So. Right.
1: You uh, I, do you remember Jason Fernett, buddy of mine, Can, Canadian guy? Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah I remember him for sure. You uh, you got us into a club in Vegas one time. I don't know what was going on. I don't remember, but uh, you pointed at Fournette and me, and we're like, you yeah, you're in, you're in. Like, and we're just like, oh, sweet, we're in. Jones got us in. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I got. I'm, I think I should do that and just call up everybody. Like. Guy Cooper and Travis, and just get a story from all of them. Greg Albertine, right, right. All the guys he used to hang out with over in Europe, and Mike Craig and boy, wow, the Craig, Craig stuff. Told. The Craig
1: stuff we probably can't print or talk about or anything. Some of them. <laughs> one out of every ten. Right, right. Because uh, that's yeah. another guy. Um, hey, yeah. what was your what was your favorite country to visit? Do you do you have one over the years? Did you have a real cool um, place?
2: Wow. I think probably the most beautiful countries is uh, Scandinavia, Sweden, Finland, yep. Norway. Oh, really, huh? Um, yeah. But I really I really liked uh, Ireland, castles when I went over there for oh, the yeah. X-Fighters. That was really nice. Yep. But probably one of my favorite countries is Australia. The The Australian people are just really nice, and they don't have tasers over there. If you screw up, they shoot you. So the <laughs> policemen are pretty cool. You know what I mean? I mean yeah, but yeah. My point is... Right. You know what I mean? It, it's not tasing people for no reason. I mean, the yeah. policemen over there are real police. If they're if you screw up, they're going to shoot you. But they don't pull their gun unless it's a real deal. You know, right? And right. I don't know. I just I really like Australia. I really do. And you know, um, but uh, hey, isn't
1: yeah. it isn't is uh, isn't it crazy? I have the because I did that German Supercross series as a mechanic, right? Um, and uh, it's it's funny how you remember this drink called Red Bull that they used to put in in, in, in vodka at the after party. And you're like, what yeah. is this? Super weird. Like, I don't know what this is late, late nineties. And now look at Red Bull. And I imagine you were one of the first Red Bull guys.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I know the owner pretty good Dietrich. And I go over there, um, in Austria and at the Hangar seven and stuff. And mm-hmm. he just such a down to earth guy too. You would never really, you know, yeah, never yeah. Know it. Oh yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think what they are now, and yeah, it's awesome. I'd like to work for Red Bull one day, maybe. But, Dude, call him uh, up. Call up, Jonesy. Yeah, I know. got to do something for I, I got for offered a job, but i never followed up with him. I need to give him a call. <laughs> You're like, oh,
1: I forgot to call him. It was uh, too weird.
2: easy going. I just say, yeah, I forgot to call him. I got a job offer to right. go job trucks for my brother-in-law, and so I'm doing that now. Well, hey, uh
1: that's all right, man. Um yeah. glad to hear you're doing better after that accident. Um yeah. and uh that's good to see and, and thank you for doing the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, man, uh presented by Alpine Star Protects. Uh real interesting guy. Like you should probably write that book.
2: Mike, um that'd be phenomenal. Yep. Um and I, you, I want to thank all my sponsors. I yeah, can do that. Go ahead. Yep, I want to thank uh V Motorsports. They're the people that still give me bikes and Weissco Pistons, Kometic Gasket, UFO Plastics, um, Dave Anilak over there at Tuff, Dunlop Tires, KSR Wheels, Scott Goggles, MX Graphics, Moto Auction Clothing, Psycho Sports Cartel, Enjoy Manufacturing, Old MacGyver, Racer X, Foundation Station, In the Blood Tattoo, KMS Heating and Cooling, Switchback MX, and of course, my wife and daughter, for putting up with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably a that's, good, it. <laughs> that's
1: probably it's probably a good that's probably the best. Say the best for last, right? So. Yeah, And my whole family.
2: So they all gotta put up with me.
1: Yeah, no, uh fantastic. Thanks for making the time. We've been trying to do this for a while. You've been busy, I've been busy. Uh, I think people will really enjoy this. And like I said, uh there's probably sixty five percent of people listening to this Mike will have a Mike Jones story of some sort or they know someone who has a Mike Jones story. I, I would I would bet on that highly. So
2: Yep, I hear him all the time. And uh, (laughs) Lou Lopez has a bunch of them,
1: too. Oh, yeah, sweet Lou. Um, I bet he does. Awesome. Uh, Thank you, Mike, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, Enjoy your day. And uh, we'll see you down the line at the races, man. Thank you.
2: Sounds good. Thanks, buddy.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't gonna give 100%, I'm not gonna take the money. The working class hero, Doug
2: Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know? And it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was gonna miss. The Dogger, raw machine.
1: Until you really open your ears and you wanna to listen to what they're saying,